Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 30th, 2019, we continue our series titled, Genesis, In the Beginning. Today's sermon, The Beginning of Marriage, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Enjoy. You know, one of the things that um, you learn immediately from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the very end of the scriptures is that, first of all, God is a relational God. I mean, when you get into chapter one of Genesis, you see that immediately. I mean, the first thing you see in, there in chapters, you know, or, or chapter one, verses 26 and 27 is this interplay, this conversation that begins to take place within the Godhead. And you see that God himself is a relational God. And then this morning as we get into chapter two, we'll be talking about the fact that God created us relational people. Next week as we get into chapter three, we'll see that every single issue that we have as human beings is a relational issue. We either have an issue between us and God or me and you, I mean, but it's a relational problem. Now the passage we're looking at this morning is very clear. Adam, like each of us, was put here to serve God. Now sometimes the task is just overwhelming. And so in the process of all of that, God provides someone that will walk through life with us to take on the task. And we need to learn to appreciate what help in that resolve means. Now, don't interpret that as me saying being single is, a, is not a good thing. Being single is an absolute great opportunity to focus in and serve God, and one of the, the, the amazing things about that is, is that when we are single and have this opportunity to serve God, I don't, according to 1 Corinthians 7, have to worry about the needs of a spouse. I mean, if I wanna take off and serve God and do this thing, I can do that. Now specifically here though this morning in chapter two, God is going to instruct Moses on marriage. Marriage being the, the key part of God's plan to fill the earth and provide for the relational needs that we have in the deepest possible human way. So let's look at the passage together. We're gonna read through chapter two here in verses 18 through 25. Follow along with me as I read this. Verse 18 says, then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed." Now there's a couple of different things here, actually five things we're gonna see this morning. The first one is this. Verse 18 tells us that we were created incomplete. Incomplete. Go back to verse 18, it says, then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's not good that the man would be alone. 
Now, let me be clear here, this is not Adam complaining. This is God himself, the creator of all things, telling us that in Adam's situation, it's not good. That word good there in the Hebrew is the word tab. It means pleasant or, or desirable or best, but probably the, the fullest you know, meaning of the word is complete. The man alone is not complete. Now that's actually kind of an interesting statement in this context because it's a total departure from the pattern that you've seen previously leading up to this and what you saw in chapter one and the first parts of chapter two because previous to this, every single part of creation was tab. Now what God is doing here is God is sort of setting up this picture, if you understand like a literary term in this one, the idea of of juxtaposing something. If you understand the idea of putting two things up next to each other and allowing you to see them for what they really are. God is doing that. The juxtaposition here is, is that up until now, every single thing that God has done has been tab, been complete, is the way it should be. It's almost like God is walking down a line, you know, checking off boxes about all these different things. The stars, tab. Earth, tab. Animals, tab. Fish, tab. Man, not tab. Not exactly how I want it to be. Now, how does that happen? I mean, you're in paradise. You're with God. How can it be less than perfect? Well, there's only one answer here, and that is that God deliberately made Adam to need someone besides himself. He created with a need for relationship. In fact, I will tell you this, I believe that God created us with two voids in our life. I think, first of all, God created us with a a spiritual void in my life that God himself is the only person that can fulfill. We can try to fill it with a lot of things. Sometimes people try to fill it with things and money and and desires and their own pleasures and their own flesh, but they will ultimately find that those things are not satisfying. They will not meet their needs. They will not ultimately take them to where they want to be because it is a God-shaped void and only he can fill it. But the second is so interesting because I also believe that God created us with a human-shaped void, a void that God could fill, but he won't because he fully expects us to build relationships. He expects us to to live in relationship because we were created to serve, to serve other people, and to be served by other people. In fact, if you think about it for a second, you know, why did God give you the Holy Spirit? Well, a couple of different things. One is to encourage you, one is to teach you, and one is to lead you, to convict you, but also he's given you the Holy Spirit because the gifts come with the Holy Spirit. And when God gives us Holy Spirit gifts, according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we're supposed to use those gifts not for ourselves, not for the building up of ourselves, but I'm supposed to use my gift for you and you're supposed to use your gift for me. We're supposed to be in relationship. Now, go back to verse 18 for a second here. Remember, Adam isn't complaining here. What God is doing here is being proactive here by dealing with Adam's void by providing a partner for him. So in verse 18, he says, I will make, the word here is a saw, I will fashion, he says, a helper, an easer. Now, That term helper is not a great term in some ways, right? I mean, think about it. How many times have you been in a situation where you've got kids and and, you you, you say to the kids, go outside and be daddy's little helper? Right? I mean, it's kind of condescending and, you know, or I mean, I get it, I'm a grandpa, you know, 
hey, Grandpa, you want a couple of helpers? What am I supposed to say? No. <laughs> it's just babysitting, right? That's not what this word means. This word, izar, um, is a much stronger word. It's the words typically used in a military sense for bringing like uh, replacements up or bringing a whole, you know, another legion or army into play in this thing. God even uses it of himself that he is our very present helper in time of need. And here he uses it about Eve, which says a lot about Eve. It says a lot about the spouse that God brings into our life. Now you notice here that the Azar here, the helper needs to be fit. Now this is the most interesting word in the whole thing here, the word neged. Because it, it's almost, um, it's almost, it's a little bit hard to explain, but I'm gonna try to do my best here. The word means opposite and yet corresponding. It's literally like what the passage is saying is I'm gonna bring a helper who is like opposite into Adam's life. Corresponding but different. That sounds totally impossible. How can you be alike and yet opposite? Well, you can only be that if it is a compliment. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Um, if, if you're playing with the kids or the grandkids and you pull out a puzzle, a puzzle that fits together like this, if for some reason you had to have multiple grandkids and you had, you know, different puzzles and you got those puzzles together and they were from different puzzle boxes, they won't fit together. Or if you somehow had the same puzzle and you put the same exact piece and you tried to put that together, it won't fit together either because there is no way that it complements each other. But if you take one puzzle and you put it together in such a way that it complements each other, it perfectly fits together to make the picture that it's supposed to be. That is exactly what's going on here. If they're identical, they won't fit, but if they're from the same puzzle, they're alike, and yet they're complementing each other, they fit together perfectly. The passage is telling us here is that into our lives comes a person that is like us, that is human, but is also from a different gender and, and with a different look, look at life and equal in power and equal in resource, but just different. And you enter into the closest relationship that is absolutely possible. Well, how close? Well, verse 24 says they become one flesh. You know what that word one flesh means? You take up the same space. I could go further on that one, but I'm gonna wait for another time on that, okay? <laughs> The goal here is to fill the earth and, to, and, and develop a oneness about a relationship that resembles Christ's love for his beloved, the church, us. Now there's a second thing here in verses 19 and 20 and it tells us here what will not meet my needs. Look at verse 19. It says, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man as he would have called them and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name, and the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the passage here is gonna tell you two things that will not meet your needs. And they are, you're not gonna find your needs met in mere companionship, and you're not gonna find your needs met in work. Now, verse 19, God calls all the animals to Adam, begins to pray them by him, you know, and he names them, so he exercises authority over all the animals. And even though the animals, just like Eve, are part of God's creation, 
Because there are, frankly, there are some people who say, well, listen, I think everything is just completely, you know, spiritually related together and we're all the same, you know, us and the animals and stuff like that. No, we're not all the same. God brings the animals by Adam. They were also created just like Adam by God. But Adam is alone. Why? Because no animal was fit. They're not like different like Eve was. They're just different. No animal can meet that need. And so when you get to verses 19 and 20, you see these two things here, that no other part of creation was a fit for him. That's what verse 20 says, that that Adam could not find a helper that was fit for him. But the second thing is, is that Adam doesn't find satisfaction or top simply in doing his job or in work. And you know, a career is a wonderful thing. I mean, Mark talked about this not too long ago, the fact that working is a great part of what God has called us to do. We were put here on this earth to work, to serve but it does not make up for relationship. So many people just think, well, you know, if I just work so many hours, I'm gonna be totally fine in life. No, you're not. You're gonna miss on the most important parts of life, the relationships that God brings. Now keep going here. Look at verses 21 and 22. You'll see God's care for us here. He says in verse 21, so the the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I love how it starts there, so. In other words, as a result of Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and it uses the word rib here but I will tell you that a better rendering of the word is the word side it's the Hebrew word selah, which means side building. It's almost like uh, if you were you know, adding on to your house and you were building on and, and adding to it, it's a remodel, so to speak. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know if anybody else found this interesting as we were studying for this and talking to different people, but I thought that the interesting thing is this is the very last time that a male will come first in the life of another. Because after this, a female always leads the way in life coming about, that's what a a mom does. Verse 22, he says, made is the word fashion, ultimately Eve is made out of dust like Adam was, but clearly Adam is the, you know, Eve is the cleaned up version, she is the improvement. Did I say that right, honey? Make sure. You know, I've had people tell me that uh, man has one less rib than a woman, I just wanna be clear here, that is not true, okay? There are two things that are important here about coming from Adam's side. You know, God commanded Adam to have dominion over the animals and to subdue the earth. That's not how he's supposed to treat his wife. Should have been an amen someplace, I'm just gonna say, okay? Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 tells us that husbands are to love their wives as Christ does the church. Let me give you a newsflash. Christ died for the church. The only type of leadership in the church that should be worked in a home or anything is a sacrificial, loving, lay your life down type of leadership, period. Okay? There's nothing beyond that, not biblically. 
The fact that Adam, or excuse me, Eve came from Adam's side is an awesome picture of equality. Not from his head to rule over him, not from his feet to be ruled over by him, but it comes from his side. It speaks of equality. It doesn't mean, though, the same. Equality is not same. We're different, we have different roles. Equality means to complement each other. It means I would never be what I am without you and you would never be what you should be without me. It speaks of value and essence and dignity and responsibility, but we're not interchangeable. We're meant to complement each other. Now here's the fourth thing. Keep going here, verse 23, you see the power of connection. Verse 23 says, and the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. I love what he says here, this at last. It's like, like he's saying finally. Now, now catch this. I just want you to get this picture in your mind, okay? Adam wakes up in this thing, looks over, sees Eve. There's no small talk. He doesn't look at her and go, hey, what's up? Want to hang out a little bit? Want to pray about it? Because this is the Christian thing to do. We should pray. See if we, you know. No, I mean immediately. You know what? He just knows this is my completer. This is my wife. This is what a helper fit looks like. By the way, these are the very first recorded words of Adam. I don't know if you caught this or not. What Adam is saying is, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Now let me tell you why that's actually a funny statement. Because Adam's not even 24 hours old yet. (laughs) He's not even a day old and he's already thinking about a woman. That says a lot about you men out there, okay? Matthew Henry, I love his commentary on this. He says it this way, he says, now I have what I want, flesh of my flesh. It just makes sense. James Montgomery Boyce used to ask this question when he was you know, teaching through the passage like this. He says, what's most like half the moon? Answer, the other half of the moon, right? Well, that's exactly what Eve is. She is flesh of his flesh. She is Adam's other half. She is like Adam, but different. She is a compliment to him as he is to her. Now remember, Adam is in a perfect environment here, in a perfect relationship with God, and yet here he is responding to Eve like this. I mean, I see Adam here being smitten, and I get it. I mean, I remember exactly what it was like. I was an intern, you know, and I remember, you know, my wife comes walking into church with her mom, and she had this yellow dress on. I really, I stopped and thanked God at that moment. Or maybe I asked for forgiveness. I don't remember what the two. But one of the two. But I know that there was God was consulted in the whole process. I mean, I mean it was just a, a, an amazing thing. I instantly knew there was something special about this person. The connection here was clear. It's important to remember why God brings someone into our lives like that. You know, over the years, I've had a chance to meet with lots and lots of engaged couples and do lots of weddings and very often, it's so interesting, very often couples will come and they, they have this, this, one of the chief worries that they have is the prospect of a bad marriage. They just, there's this worry, well what if we're not on the same page? And I, you know, I, I, 
as lovingly as I can, I want to tell them, you're not always going to be on the same page. Iron sharpens iron. You fit together like this, not like this. There are times you're going to be different. There are times you're going to see the world differently. And that's exactly how God would have you do that because it's very important that you understand something. I am... A, a real type A, you know, driven, I walk right by people sometimes and miss it. My wife doesn't miss any of those things. She will do this, which is a loving reminder, hey, stop, smell the roses along the way. See people, look at faces. Do you see hurt? Do you see care, concern, someone has a question? You can't just think what is your next task. God puts people together to form a better union. To, to accomplish things that just need to be accomplished because you have different ways of looking at things. And so, you know, are you gonna be different? Is it gonna be, yes, absolutely. And yet, in, in, in so many times when I'm dealing with some of these young couples, I will tell them, look, let me encourage you. You're worried about having a bad marriage? I wanna encourage you that just as dangerous here is a marriage that's out of focus. A marriage where you're looking at this person thinking, they're gonna meet every need I have. Well, they're not meant to meet every need you have. God is meant to meet your every need. God's not giving you another God. He's already there. He's giving you someone that will come alongside of you that is like you but different, will walk through life together so you can create a team to do greater tasks than you would ever do without that person. God says in verse 18, this is a helper Remember, that's a strong word, a powerful word, not a new God. A spouse doesn't replace God. It's so interesting, too. I, I want to make sure that I, I want to go back to this because I don't want to leave this hanging out there. Traditionally, our society has placed such an incredibly high emphasis on marriage. And, and I, you know, I love marriage. I think it's wonderful. It's God-ordained institution. But we do have to keep in mind that our faith was started by a single man. Remember that? Do you know the primary writer of the New Testament, Paul, was single? Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, like 25 through 32, writes and he says, hey, if you want to be married, that's great. If you want to be single, that's great. And so we need to make sure that we remember that singleness does not make you a second-class Christian. It provides an opportunity, a freedom for you to focus in on serving God any way you want to. Now, let me get to the fifth one here. In verses 24 and 25, you see the establishment and the change and the commitment of marriage. Look what he says in verse 24. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they become one flesh, and the man and his wife will, will, were both naked and were not ashamed. The result, therefore, is, that's, it's like saying the result of, a man will leave his father and his mother. Now, three things here are very clear. The first thing here is, what's clearly important here to understand is, this, this reference here, verse 24, was written for future generations, like us, to get this, because Adam didn't have a father and mother. This was put out there for us. The second thing is, is, is this declaration challenges or brings about a change that takes place in marriage because now a new family is formed and new roles have to be accepted and old roles kind of go away or they change their form as well. You're developing a brand new family. And then there is a commitment to become one. 
And I'll tell you that one of the most interesting things about this whole thing is this, is that, did you notice there that it never says the woman will leave her family? I mean, that's just true. I don't know how it works like that, but you know, it, it just, it does. It says the husband will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, but it never says the wife leaves her family as well too. There is something there that happens that keeps a daughter and a mom maybe closer together than anybody else whether it's conversations every day or whatever the case may be. But this is the beginning of marriage. Verse 24 here, the passage calls her his wife. The sexual distinctions here are also obvious in verse 24. Biblically, I will tell you this, sex is a sacred act, period. It helps us fulfill our task of filling up the earth, but it also creates a oneness, a powerful, incredibly powerful commitment that becomes a really big deal that gets us through. Verse 25, it says here that the man and his wife were naked, they were not ashamed. You know, so many times the idea of nakedness is, is associated with shame, but not here and not in the marital relationship. It's interesting here that, I, you know, I don't, this isn't really a part of the text, but I think it's so interesting to find out that the Bible, when you look at it, in Genesis chapter two, the Bible starts off with a marriage, but if you go to the very end of your Bible in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 19, it ends with a marriage. Marriage is a big deal. It matters to God. It ends with the wedding supper of the lamb. This is this picture, this metaphor of God's care and his concern. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, it means this. If you're single or you're married, either one, that pretty much includes all of us at that point, right? God put you here on this earth to serve him. Make no mistake about it. You are not here to serve you. You are here to serve him. Frankly, there should never be a time in a church, any place in the world, where you have to put out a call to get people to step up and be who God created them to be. We were put here to serve God. Sometimes your particular lot in life, whether you're single, gives you the freedom or the opportunity to go and serve God anywhere you want, any way you want, in any condition you want without having to ask you know, or think about the thought of taking a spouse with you. You have an incredible amount of freedom. Other times, the task is so large that God will call someone beside you to walk with you through that task and to fill up the earth with people, which is a part of his plan. But the truth is, you're both called to serve. That's the key thing here. Single or married, God has called you to serve. Your next step, this is important for you to catch, your next step is to find a place within the body that you can be serving. You need to be thinking about that today. Now, this morning we're gonna be taking communion. And I'm gonna ask the people that are gonna be serving us if they go ahead and grab the communion things and begin to take, bring them down and distribute them. And I'm gonna ask that you, when they do that, would you just hold on to that? You're gonna find that when they pass those little communion plates around, that they're gonna be two cups, one inside of the other, Take both of those cups and hold on to that because we're gonna come back and take those things together. Let me say this though. Communion is about us remembering that the Lord gave his life for us. 
That's God's pattern to provide for our needs. It is exactly what God did with Adam. God provided a completer in Adam's life to help him be who he wanted him to be. But the ultimate completer is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that can forgive me, the one that can transform me, the one that adopts me into his family. And so I wanna encourage you that you may be here this morning and you know this is all kind of fairly new to you, I wanna tell you that Romans chapter 10 verse 13 tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If God is moving in your heart, if God is challenging you, that heartbeat is racing right now because he's calling you into his kingdom, this is your moment. Right where you're at, you could stop and ask God to forgive you and to come into your life and take control of you and allow you to be his child. You could begin that relationship with him right there, and I would encourage you to do that. In fact, I would encourage you that there will be people up here after the service is over down at the front that would love to stop and pray with you and just help you understand exactly what your role really is. But for the next couple of minutes, we're gonna stop and the band's gonna play and we're gonna sing with them and I would ask you to do this. Examine yourself, your heart, Is it right? Has your attitude been towards your station in life, whether you're single, has it been, God, I'm single because you have me in this spot right now to serve you? Or has your attitude been, God, I'm married because you put someone in my life to help me, to shape me, to cause me to be better, to take on a great big task together? And I need to be thankful as opposed to to having all these ridiculous thoughts about this person that they're gonna meet all my needs when you're my need maker and filler. So I'd ask you to examine yourself so that when we come back together, your heart is right before the Lord. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he went to an upper room with his disciples. He took bread and he broke it and he passed it around. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, you remember the sacrifice that he was about ready to make. Don't you remember? In the passage, it tells us that after supper, he took a glass, a cup of wine, and he passed it around. He said, this cup represents my body. My blood shed for you. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you proclaim? This is our reminder that our Savior came, gave his life for us, that we might in this lifetime have the opportunity to give our lives to him. Father, Would you move in our hearts in such a way that we can know that you're alive, that you're moving us to the place you want us to be. Help us to serve you, God. That's why you put us here. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. As we go out today, go with a spirit that understands completely that God has called you to serve him. If you're single, this is your chance to do whatever you want to do, whatever he's speaking into your life to do. If you're married, 
God has put a helper into your life and you get the chance to learn to faithfully honor and serve God by serving them. And they'll get the chance to do that by serving you. That's the way it works. Go out and show the world what it looks like. God bless you.